Uh, today is Father's Day, and um, when you get married, yeah, you have a few bugs to work out. Then when you get kids, you got a lot more bugs to work out. And uh, sometimes you just work them clean out of the house. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, as we're moving right along, I um, wanted to read something to you. Somebody sent this to me. I thought it was pretty good. Because sometimes we make the mistake looking at people and deciding whether or not they're worthy of our time. You know, we sometimes try to put a value upon people. Sometimes we do it with kids. And we don't sometimes see any value in them whatsoever. Just get them out of my sight. But, you know, the only thing God has to make an adult out of is a child. So if we didn't have children, we couldn't have adults. So don't be too hard on the kids. They didn't ask to be born. A dreamer. Let me tell you, Jesse hated this job. You would too. I imagine if you had it, Jesse was a chicken plucker. That's right. Now, I was a, a turkey killer. I have killed thousands and thousands and thousands of turkeys. And, um, but he did it with chicken. He stood on the line in a chicken factory and he spent his days pulling the feathers off dead chicken so the rest of us wouldn't have to. He didn't and like much of his job, but at the time, Jesse didn't think he was much of a person. His father was a brute of a man. His dad was actually thought to be mentally ill and treated Jesse rough all his life. Jesse's older brother wasn't much better. He was always picking on Jesse and beating him up. Yes, Jesse grew up in a very rough home in West Virginia. Life was anything but easy, and he thought life didn't hold much hope for him. That's why he was standing in this chicken line, doing a job that few people wanted. In addition to all the rough treatment at home, it seems that Jesse was always sick. Sometimes it was real physical illness, but way too often it was all in his mind. He was a small child, skinny, meek. That sure didn't help the situation any. When he started to school, he was the object of, object of every bully on the playground. He was a hypochondriac of the first order. For Jesse, tomorrow was not always something to be looked forward to. But he had dreams. He wanted to be a ventriloquist. He found books on ventriloquism. And he practiced with sock puppets and saved his hard-earned money until he could get him a real ventriloquist dummy. When he got old enough, he joined the military. And even though many of his hypochondriac symptoms persisted, the military did recognize his talents and put him in the entertainment court. Uh, that was when his world changed. He gained confidence. He found that he had a talent for making people laugh and laugh so hard they often had tears in their eyes. Yes, little Jesse had found himself. You know, folks, the history books are full of people who overcame a handicap to go on and make a success of themselves. But Jesse is one of the few I know of who didn't overcome it. Instead, he used his paranoia to make a million dollars and become one of the best-loved characters of all time in doing it. 
That little paranoid hypochondriac who transferred his nervousness into a successful career still holds the record for the most Emmys given in a single category. The wonderful, gifted, talented, and nervous comedian who brought us Barney Fife. You ever heard of Barney Fife? Uh, Jesse Don Knox. Evidently, he didn't have much when he was growing up. And people didn't see much value in the guy, and he didn't think much of himself. It determined how people treated him because they didn't see much value in him. It determined what he wanted to do and standing in the line plucking feathers off of a chicken. But whenever I read that little story, I thought to myself, a lot of times we see people just that way. We put a value upon them. Whether or not they're worthy of our time. You know, somebody that doesn't act like they're all there. Uh, somebody's got all kinds of problems we don't want to burden ourselves with. But it's one thing to do it in the physical realm, but I think it's a greater shame to do it in the spiritual realm. When we look at people and we don't think God has much hope of ever doing anything with them. So we want to try to pick and choose who deserves all of our attention. And I think sometimes we may overlook a lot of people. You see, God doesn't see as man sees. Man looks upon the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh upon the heart. And as you study, even in the little old book of Colossians, there's these big cities all over the place. And Paul had gone to these big cities. But there was one little podunk town. And somebody had started a church there. And somebody had gotten to be the pastor, Epaphras. And you probably never heard of him, but he had done a little work for the Lord. And now he was over there as a companion trying to help and encourage even the great apostle Paul. But as he sat around talking to the apostle Paul about the problems that he had in his church, and they were many, that's when Paul told him, says, look, you ought to see what I'm going through. And Paul began to whine and complain about his sorry lot in life and how that he's serving the Lord and everything's going wrong. Is that what he did? No, he didn't do that. There's a lot of Christian whiners today, just whine about everything. You know, there's these um, kids that wanted to have some fun. So they got them some water guns and put some water in them, drove around on a hot July day and just looking for somebody they could squirt. And they'd roll the windows down, and when they'd come across some workers, they would just squirt them with the water guns, and they'd look up see where the rain was coming from. They'd laugh and have a lot of fun at somebody else's expense. Well, one day they did it. Instead of this one guy looking up, he looked straight at the car, and he saw the teenagers. But the light changed, and the car had to stop. So the guy took off after them, and they rolled up the windows, scared for their life because this big, burly guy was coming after them, all because they squirted him with a water gun. They rolled up the windows, and another car had pulled up behind them, and the man's hollering at the kids, and the kids are in the car, scared to death, and this man just got out of his car, walked up to this great, big, burly man, and he says, you sissy. 
They squirted you with a water gun on a hot July day. And you're a whining about that? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. And he bowed his head and he walked back to where he was. Over a little drop of water. Whine. You'd be surprised what Christians do today. Whine, whine, whine. And here's the great apostle Paul. That God had used to, you know, shake the known world at that time. And uh, then you have people that whine over nothing, complain over nothing because you didn't get your own way on something or over some little bitty thing. I want you to take your Bible, look, and just hold your place here at Colossians. We're coming right to it, really, really are. But look there in the book of Colossians. Not the Colossians, but the book of Acts chapter 17. Acts and chapter 17. And you'll notice in Acts chapter 17. I'll be there in a, a minute. Look in verse 6. In verse 6. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying... These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. These that have turned the world upside down. Well, I guess you can say they, they finally got the culprit. They nailed this guy. I guess the devil was as happy as happy can get. Look there in Acts chapter 28. And look at another verse with me. Acts chapter 28. And look there in verse 30, where it says, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him. I bet the devil thought, Buddy, I got him now. What can he do? In he turned the world upside down because he had his freedom. He could go here, he could go there, but I got him now. So he had him in prison. You know one thing that Paul could do while he was in prison? He could pray, and he could write. He could pray, and he could write. You see, Paul just did what he could do. A lot of people, if they don't get to be what they want to be and do what they want to do, I'm not going to do anything at all. I mean, it's all about me. It's whatever I want. So to serve the Lord faithfully with what you have, where you have, or whatever God gives to you. Don't be filled with envy and jealousy of how God uses somebody else. There's a God in heaven that notices whiners. And if you read the book of Corinthians where it talks about they murmured, they murmured, and many of them fell in the wilderness because of complaining. You know sometimes it's so easy for a man to complain, the wife to complain. Nothing's ever right, always complaining. And then you see what God has done in the lives of somebody else. You know what Paul did? And we'll just kind of jump the gun just a tad. Go back to the book of Colossians. Back here in Colossians, it says in verse 3, we give thanks. We give thanks. And it didn't matter that Paul was in prison. And it didn't matter about all the problems that this church was having, and they were having some. But he was also giving thanks for something. He was giving thanks to God. And as it says 
in verse 4, since we heard of your faith. You see, when you focus upon the Lord and you focus upon others, you don't see all of your personal problems so easy. It keeps you from being a whiner. When you see what somebody else is going through or how God is blessing somebody else and begin to pray for them. A lot of people are having a rough time. Pray for one another. Now, I want you to kind of follow with me just a little bit there. You see there in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother. When he says Paul, I believe that you need to understand that he says Paul, an apostle. Paul, an apostle. You see, being an apostle was his authority given to him by God to deal with this situation and that his advice that he was going to give, you need to listen up. Because this isn't just anybody. This is Paul, the apostle. One called by God and given to him a word from God to give to you. And you better listen to what he has to say. So Paul had the authority to address the situation. You see, everybody needs to have what we call a canon, canonicity of the Scriptures. It means a straight edge, something to judge by. What's right? What's wrong? Anybody ever play softball? Baseball? I love it. I love the game. I don't like to get hurt. I was up in Minnesota one time, and we had a whole bunch of kids that we took to camp in northern Minnesota from Colorado at the place in Dora Lake. I was the pitcher. And I pitched the ball, and those guys were doing everything in their power to take me out of the game. I thought, they're, they're trying to hit me with the ball. When they hit that ball, it was like line drives right at me. This is softball. Friendly little game. So sometimes, you know, I'm getting a little bit older. I couldn't move quite as fast. They hit me in the leg. They hit me in the side. It liked to got me in the head. But then I got to get up to bat. And then when I got up to bat, I was running around first. I'm moving on. Between second, first base and second base, I'm halfway there. They didn't throw the ball at first base. They didn't throw the ball at second base. They, they threw the ball at me and hit me right upside the head and knocked me down on the ground. And, oh, we're so sorry, we're so sorry. Do I have a glove? Am I on your team? It didn't matter. They, they, they took me out of the game. But we still won the game. The devil is going to try to take you out of the game doesn't want you to play. But remember this. When you play a game of softball, do you think it's better if you call your own balls and strikes on yourself? Or is it better to have somebody that's got a keen eye, knows the game well, and will be honest and fair? Do you think if I had to call the balls and strikes on myself that I would be fair and balanced? Or may I be maybe a little prejudiced? 
So you need somebody in your life to call the shots, to say whether it's in or out, whether it's right or wrong. You see, everybody needs an umpire in their life to say whether or not, uh, did you go over the boundary or are you staying inside of the line? You see, there's always people who like to live close to the edge. And sometimes they lose their discernment and they play a dangerous game. So between you and I, the Apostle Paul was like an umpire. He had great spiritual discernment. You and I now have the Holy Spirit living within us. And if you look down there in verse 8, he says, Who hath also declared unto us your love in the Spirit? So there's some things that were being done by these people in Colossians that the Holy Spirit was doing, not only bringing to their understanding about sin, righteousness, and judgment, but also about the Christian life. Somebody that says this is right and this is wrong. And it's so important. Another thing, let me just kind of mention this to you. Because, you see, the devil thinks he has finally got Paul in checkmate. Now, I love, oh, I used to, love to play chess. And you know the goal of playing chess is to get the other person in checkmate. What does that mean, to be in checkmate? You can't move. They can't move. I got you. You can't move. In our life, you'd be surprised that there is a real live devil that wants to put you and I in checkmate. And when we fear that we're in checkmate and we can't move, we panic. It really loads us down with a lot of stress, burdens upon our shoulders. And we don't know how we're going to get out of something. But let me just show you this one verse I think is important for you to see. Uh, look there in the book of um, 1 Corinthians and chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And look there in verse 13. It's good for you to know this. If you will walk with the Lord and serve the Lord, there's a promise that God has made. In verse 13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. It's common. Nobody knows what I'm going through. No, just everybody else in the whole world. But God is what? God is faithful. Now get this. Who will not allow you, permit you, suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way, and you ought to underline that little word, escape. In other words, the devil cannot put me in checkmate. Unless God wants it, that's fine. But as long as I do what I'm supposed to do, I believe I can accomplish the will of God for my life, and I don't have to worry about there's a problem coming down the road that I can't handle. I'll be in checkmate. There's something that I can't do. I always believe between me and God, I can do anything. And as long as I believe that, I'm not afraid to step forward, to try something, to do something. Because, you see, I believe these verses in the Bible is true. You need to believe that they're true. But there will be times in your life when you'll swear up and down. I'm in checkmate. There's no way out. 
and you're going to have a pity party for yourself. And whine, whine, whine. In the church here, don't whine until I do. Don't worry until I do. When I do, it's time to whine. It's time to be No, because you got your confidence in the Lord and learn to trust the Lord. Now go back to the book of Colossians and notice, and I know that many of you have done this. We drive down the highway. We daydream a lot. Play the radio. The music's fast. You drive fast. There has been times I have been boogieing down the road. I mean, just a move on the long, going the wrong direction, but making good time. Just moving along. And you'd be surprised. You can be going 10, 15, 20 miles over the speed limit and not even know it. And lo and behold, you look down there and there's a cop car. And without even thinking, you slam on the brakes. <laughs> And hope he didn't see anything. Did you know that you can lose control because, you see, you're, you're not paying attention to everything that's going on. And you forget about how fast you're going. And that cop down there is a reminder that you may be going over the limit. And so you don't have the, the peace of mind, the confidence to enjoy the ride because you're always afraid that you know what you could do? They even make cars now with a thing called cruise control. Did you know if you put it on 60, chances are you won't go 65. And then you can just relax and just let it ride and you ain't got to worry about it. You can listen to the radio, you still can go the same speed. You can think about a thousand things, but you're still going the same speed. But a lot of people, see, they don't realize your peace of mind and joy is not going to be because I'm trusting the weight of my foot upon the pedal. I'm trusting that cruise control to regulate. You and I will have greater peace and joy in our life when we trust in the Lord to regulate our life. You see, that's what he's talking about when he says about peace and grace unto you. But peace and grace unto you is because of something. Look there what he says in verse 2. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see the word saints? And to the saints and faithful brethren. So you can be a saint and not be a faithful brethren. But if you are a faithful brethren, you are a saint. So it's to those that are saints because you've been made pure and holy by the blood of Christ. Because you trusted the Lord. But just because you are a saint of the Lord doesn't mean you are a faithful brethren. So it's a letter written to both, to the saints and to those that are faithful saints. Every time I preach, I know that I'm talking to different classes of people in the Lord. 
those that not only have trusted Christ as Savior, but there's some of God's people, believe it or not, that are totally rebellious in their heart. They're not right with the Lord. You can be sitting in the church with your Bible open and not be right. Then you have those that are kind of like riding a fence. Then you have those that are on fire for the Lord. Is That's why God says in the book of uh, Revelation, He says um, some of you are hot and some of you are cold. But He says those that are lukewarm, He says you make me sick. Either be hot or be cold. But lukewarm makes God sick. Now, every time I preach, I'm preaching to those three classes of people. I would like to believe that everybody who knows the Lord is not only saved, but they're faithful. But then sometimes you have lost people, and they come in all classes. There's those that want to hear. There's those that don't. There's people that are searching for the things of God, and there's those that don't. Some people want answers, and some don't. So it makes the Lord's work very interesting. Being a pastor is a lot of fun. It is not boring, that for sure. But there's a few things that I want to just mention to you real quick. And that is, there's these three main things that I had mentioned to you earlier. You see, in this book, you're talking about people who love ceremonies. You know, the ones that love to celebrate you know, certain days and certain months and certain years. And they almost worship things like that. That's all they think about. Well, that it can be all right. I'll remember the day that I graduated from Florida Bible College. My aunt and uncle that I lived with in Franklin, Virginia, they couldn't believe that I was going to graduate. They thought I'd be dead by then. I lived with them when I also ran away and was going to run off to Africa. They're the ones that left me on the side of the road one day. And anyway, times have changed. And I've gotten a little older and a little bit more mature. They wanted to come down and see this miracle. I'm graduating from Florida Bible College. My mom came down. My sister, <laughs> they had to come down. Because see, this was a great moment. This had never happened to Yankee before. I'm 26 years old. Never graduated from high school. Lo and behold, Yankee got to walk down the aisle. I had to stand up there, and I got a picture in there on the wall. Me with that little black cap on and that little gown, you know, and they had to put the little tassel over, and Dr. Cameron and Dr. Stanford were both there, and they shake my hand. I love the pomp and the circumstance. I love the thrill. I finished something. I finished. I started but I didn't know how long I was going to school. <laughs> Nobody ever told me how long you're supposed to go. I didn't know how many credits I was supposed to have, hours. I didn't understand none of that stuff. I know here I am, educate me, and then when I get them through, I'll let me go. And I didn't know I had to have a high school diploma. Nobody told me that. All kinds of things happened, but loving the ceremony, that was a wonderful thing. But there's some people who love that. They thrive for that. Because it's really all about them and what they get. They love the accolades of people thinking that, look, look what I have done. And I'll have to admit, I was a little proud at that time. But I found out that little piece of paper didn't get the job done. I had to go to work now. It wasn't the ending of something. It was the beginning of something. And buddy, did I have a beginning. And one year, 
I was blackballed in two denominations. Isn't that a wonderful heritage? But you see, there's the ceremony, and that's what the Judaizers was all about. And they were kind of mixing in some of this stuff. And then you have those that are steeped in the, the deep, dark mysteries. And they want to go through these things. But just look here right quick in the book of Colossians. Look in chapter 2. You see what he says in verse 16? Verse 16 says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of a new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. In other words, there's people who do certain things and they think they're more spiritual than everybody else because I have insight. I'm more godly and I'm more holier than you are because, you see, I observe all these things. Well, that's, that's all about them. And they become bitter and critical of other people who don't do exactly like they do. And you have to be careful. You see down there in verse 18, Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. See, this is what people also get into and because... You see, there's a mysterious thing out here, and I have insight that you don't have. Therefore, you know, it lifts me up. I'm somebody. I'm different from you. See, you're down here, and then I'm up here because of my great spiritual insight. Uh, the Lord says, that's wicked and that's wrong. Uh, look there in chapter 2 and verse 8. In verse 8, you have the intellect. And you can go to all the universities and schools and read books and study the philosophy of man. Because, you see, that makes you smart. And, buddy, are there a lot of smart people in the world? You see, there's some people who think they know things nobody else knows. Then you got those who are so intellectual, they're smarter than everybody else. Did you know you reveal your wisdom by the decisions that you make? So all three of these things puts the spotlight upon the person. You see, the book of Colossians puts the spotlight upon Jesus Christ, upon the Lord. So religion offers ceremonies. The New Age, well, that offers these angels. The universities and books and so forth offer the human philosophy. And it says there in verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. And vain deceit, because it supposes you lifts you up and makes you think you're somebody when it's vain and you're conceited. It's you're deceived. That's what's called deceit. And he says, after the tradition of men. So, yes, there's a lot of Christians who think they are so much spiritually minded, they're, they're no earthly good. And they want to impose legalism upon everybody else. You have to be careful. Now look what he says here in verse 2. Grace and peace. Yes, grace and peace in chapter 1. But grace and peace comes because you are without error in your basic philosophy, your basic theology. You see... Peace between you and God is because 
you believe what God says. If you don't know what God says and you believe in the intellectualism of humanism, you are not going to have the peace of God. God gives grace to those who believe in grace and go to the throne of grace that you may have all that you need to live the life that God wants you to live. And so he makes this statement there in verse 3. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Where was Paul? In prison. You see, in prison he wrote Ephesians in the book of Philippians and here the book of Colossians and probably the book of Philemon. But you see, these are things that Paul, was he trapped? The devil, I finally got him in checkmate. And here we are, lo and behold, with books, letters, that have been sent around the world at a time when Paul couldn't travel. A prisoner in bonds for two years in Rome. There will be times in your Christian life when you feel like I'm at a, a dead end, a standstill. Nothing's happening. Did you know in those times you just, just stay faithful? Just stay faithful to the Lord. God will work out all the other stuff. And you know that sometimes when it seems like there's nothing for you to do and it seems like it's so boring, that's a time for you to see how faithful can you be to the Lord. Do you whine, complain? Did you know that there's lessons to be learned when it seems like there's nothing you can do? Patience. I was told it was supposed to be a virtue. You so said, I don't need no more virtue. Patience is supposed to be a virtue. And there's a lot of things that God does, and it says, wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. Why? Because God has his timing. Paul had to wait a long time before he finally got to Rome. And then when he did get to Rome, remember he was in prison a couple years before he got there. And then after he got there, he's still in prison. But he wasn't trapped. He wasn't in checkmate. Yeah, he got to go home to be with the Lord, but not until God was ready. God knew what was being done. And God blessed. But what I want you to see here in verse 3 we give thanks. He's in a place where he, you say he can't give thanks for himself, but didn't God use him to write the letter that we're now reading right now? How many people around the world has read this letter in the book of Ephesians? Think of how wonderful that book of Ephesians is. It is a treasure house of jewels. And then he makes this statement here in verse 4. Since we heard of your faith, you ought to underline that in your Bible. When you hear about what God has done for somebody else, aren't you glad? When you hear how God is using somebody else, aren't you thankful? Or do you get a little bit of pride filled up inside of you and it gets filled with envy and jealousy? Because you think, hey, that ought to be me. You realize how many times I've wondered, here... We are serving the Lord, doing the best that we can. And there's some preachers that have got 10,000 people in their church. I have never had that many people in my church. 
There's people that's got Bible colleges that have got 10,000 in their college or 5,000. I've never had that. There's preachers that have been on nationwide and worldwide television. I've never been there. And I'm so bitter and mad at God. After all, I'm better than they are. I deserve it. Look who I am. Do you know who I am? Yeah, God said, hey, I know who you are. You better stop whining, complaining. Because does God see who you are and where you are and what you're doing? You better be faithful to do what you can with what you got where you are. Whining God doesn't tolerate. Murmuring God doesn't put up with. God will just put you on the shelf and just let you sit there. See, God is always looking for those that are teachable and pliable. Because God wants to shape and mold them. And God knows at what time of your life what you need. And He knows that the things that are going on in your personal life. You can't fool God. And He says here in verse 4, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and the love which you have to all the saints. Not only did we hear that you, yeah, you trusted Christ, but we've also heard about your love for one another, how you care about one another. Now, did everybody think this way? Evidently, Epaphras, the pastor, says, hey, we, we got a virus in our church, and this virus is starting to spread. And Paul had to address the problem. So this was a pastor who loved his people, but there was a problem. You see, there's all this humanistic philosophy coming into the church. Did you know that even today, a lot of people who have been educated in the world, gone to the world schools, they have a mindset. You listen to radio and television all day long, you'll be surprised. You're going to have a mindset of a certain way of thinking because they're teaching you how to think. They're giving you their discernment. It won't be long before you'll look like the world, think like the world, and act like the world. And so you are being conformed to the world. The world is conforming you. You're becoming just like the world. So then whenever the world decides to go to church, you trusted Christ as your Savior, and then you go to church, and you bring in all of that worldly thought and humanistic philosophy into the church, and then the pastor tells you, this is what God says, you got a problem. You're going to be in rebellion well, I don't like what the preacher says. I don't agree with that. Why not? Did I teach something wrong? Or you just don't like it? If you had the Bible yourself and it's in your own little room, in your own little corner, in your own little house, and you read the Bible and it said the same thing, what would you do then? Blame the neighbor down the street? It's his fault. Who are you going to blame? Oh, it's that guy on television. This is wrong. Why? Because Hannity's on TV. Well, what's he got to do with this? And you'll be surprised how that your humanistic philosophy determines whether or not you will or will not accept what God says, or whether you will or will not change in your life to make it compatible to what God's Word has to say. We are rebellious people. We want our own way, and we don't like people telling us how to believe what we can and cannot do. And then the preacher gets up there and says, Thus saith the Lord... Ah, oh, it's just Yankee's opinion. Okay. When you stand before the Lord one day, 
whatever the excuse was, just tell him all about it. He's just dying to hear it. And see whether or not that'll work with him. Every one of us will have to stand before the Lord and give an account of why we did what we did. I want you to read the Bible and study the Bible because I believe there's so much in the Word of God that can help us to think the way God wants us to think. And so he says in verse 4, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. I remember one time I was talking to a Jehovah's Witness. He said, you can't find any place in the Bible where it says we're going to heaven. I thought, you are a knucklehead. The Bible says in Peter, it did reserve for us in heaven. Reserved in heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That we have another body that God has for us. Reserved for us in heaven. Well, why reserve it there if I'm not going there? And then he says right here in this verse. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Which is come unto you as it is in all the world. And bringeth forth fruit. As it doth also in you. Since the day ye heard of it. And knew the grace of God in truth. You heard the gospel, you spread the gospel. You believed the gospel. Just like the same message that God told him, says, go into all the world and preach the gospel unto everybody in the whole world. He says, you heard it and you believed it and you spread it. In verse 7, and as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. So he's putting his stamp of approval upon this young pastor. He was a faithful minister to you, for you. In verse 8, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. See, I believe that a, a preacher should love his people. It doesn't matter whether you're obedient or disobedient. Do you have children that always obey perfectly? You don't? Do you still love them? you know you're supposed to and your love for them has nothing to do with how they live you still love them God still loves us regardless of how we obey or disobey but he may have to chasten us and sometimes if I get on your toes you might think the preacher doesn't like me he doesn't care about me yes I do I really do I know that one day both of us will stand before the Lord and I'll have to give account to the Lord for what I told you. And you're going to have to give account to the Lord for what I told you that he said. Oh, we both are responsible. We've both got responsibilities to fulfill. So anyway, hope you enjoyed the first lesson in the first chapter of the book of Colossians, part one. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we thank you so much for all you've done for us. Thank you for your word. We ask your blessings upon the service to follow. And also, Lord, that you'll give us a good day and visitors to come. And we pray they'll enjoy the, the food and the fellowship. Help us to be friendly, to be kind. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.